like around this time, like six or seven months ago, I was dealing with a lot of alcohol issues and mental health issues. And really my family life was really struggling at that point. So I felt like I needed like a break to just take a step back and kind of regroup with myself. And so I just recently reconnected with my father after a little bit. And so I decided to move here to Flower Mound and to uh, really get myself right. So when I first moved here, I really just was super introverted. I didn't want to talk to anybody or make any friends. I was kind of on my own. I was just trying to focus on school just to kind of distract myself from everything else that was going on. So I was going to NCTC for business, really. And then um, my stepbrother had a job that he, I know I needed a job and he had a job at UFIT, this, uh, this gym right down the road. He told me I, he'd probably get me a job there and uh, I took it. A lot of different people coming in the morning, but for some reason, one morning at like 8 a.m., a dude was stopping by on the way out and he just basically, he looked at me and he just asked me if I know really about God. And I told him, I was like, yeah, a little bit. And um, he asked me if I had any friends yet. And I was like, no, definitely not. And um, he just asked me if I wanted to grab coffee and we could just talk about it. It was very openly. And uh, he told me I could ask any questions or basically be myself, which was super important. I don't even really know why I accepted the offer to go grab coffee, because I really didn't want to. I remember talking to my friends though, and I was like, I don't know why I said yes, it just kind of came out of me. And he was like, why wouldn't you go? Like, there's nothing to lose. So we sat down and we got coffee and he basically, he first of all, he asked me if I knew about it, Jesus. And I was like, yeah, I do. I know like the very minimum stories about it. And um, he basically asked me about my story, about like, he told me that he could tell that I had been through a lot of stuff in the past few months and that what really shocked me was that he told me he, he could tell I was like tired. Not like physically, but just like mentally tired. And that really resonated. So I started listening to him. And, I mean, everything he started talking about with like me feeling free and me being able to sleep at night and to have rest and to be able to have joy again that doesn't just go away. It doesn't just come with alcohol or drugs or whatever. I mean, it was very nice. So we're talking about it, and I'm expecting like some big lamb I have to sacrifice, and he just tells me all I gotta do is almost pray about it, just commit my life to Christ. And it was just, like the best deal ever. Like it was super easy. It's like a free gift, and it gave me sleep that night. I went home and took a long nap because I was super tired, and it was nice. I've never wanted to do anything bad, but I've always ended up doing bad stuff. And now it's like I kind of see where I need to go. It's like a, it's not a gut feeling, but it, it feels similar. Like, to know now that my sin is forgiven, it's, it's given me a lot, of, a lot of joy. I mean, it's really taken a lot of the stress and anxiety off of me. I mean, it feels like a big weight came off my back. I'm able to look ahead in the future instead of keep looking at my past. Initially, I, I thought that my purpose was to dominate my field and to prove a lot of people wrong that I was who I was and I could do better than everybody else. But I realized it's not really my purpose. My purpose is to help other people that have been through similar experiences as me, especially young people. A lot of people aren't able to get help because they're not able to be related to. It's, it's really troubling, so Christ has made me understand that what life is about is helping other people and giving them the good news. Uh, and Billy, Billy was baptized last hour. He was baptized right here, so great story of, uh, of someone encountering Christ. and. Um, you know, what's the amazing thing? You know what school East City goes to? NCTC, which is 
right next to the building that uh, we just purchased, which, by the way, good news, uh, we are only about $500,000 short of commitments to pay for that building, uh, which is incredible. And so if you've not been a part, we invite you to. But great opportunity that God has given us. As a matter of fact, uh, where you see that being filmed and where Matt and uh, Billy uh, met together was at the coffee shop right next to Parker Square, right there in Parker Square. So just a neat story how God is working and, and moving. Um, as you have noticed, we have these signs up here that say next door. And if you've been here for a while, then you know what they are. At the, in January, we invited our congregation to make a commitment uh, to pray, invest, and invite and one, two, or three people, whatever God put on your heart, uh, to see those people, those folks that didn't know Christ, come to Christ. And so many of you made that commitment. There are nearly 400 bulb, white bulbs that were turned, and the red ones are people who've been prayed for, who have come to Christ. They represent people who've come to Christ. As a matter of fact, last week, uh, Bill and Joe Moody, who are <coughs> usually here in this service, they're greeters, they said, we want to share something with you. So they stopped me, and they said, um, hey, <coughs> and I knew their story. They had come to Christ as adults. They said, we've been praying for our son, and when this emphasis came back up, we decided, you know what, we're going to daily pray for our son. We're going to turn a bulb in his honor, and, and we're just going to pray for him, and we're going to ask God to move in his heart. And they told me, he said, last week uh, our son accepted Christ, and he, I think he was being baptized today. That's where they are. And so just a neat story of how God is working uh, through the prayers of his people. And so we want to challenge you to pray, to invest, invite. There are cards just like this that say you're invited. You can pick them up. They're on the stage. They're in the back. And use them to invite someone. Barna tells us, who's, he's a church researcher, uh, that 80% of the people in America will come on Christmas Eve or Easter if they're invited. 80%. We never have those odds, okay? And so I want to encourage you to make the most of this. We also have, uh, if, if you were here and you took one, and over and about 400 of you did at the beginning of the year. This is the box we used. Um, it had a book in it and some of their information you could use. But now we have some left over, and we're inviting you. If you don't have one, you just take one. And you can put whatever you want to in it and give it to your neighbor just of a way in investing in it. If you want to put cookies or whatever you want, don't just give them the empty box. That would be silly. But um, put something in it and invite them. Put an invitation card, and you can pick those up free. They're right outside uh, the doors you walk out, and we encourage you to pray invest, and invite this Christmas season. Well, we're talking about the facts behind the joy of Christmas, the facts of Christmas today. We always hear a lot, a lot of things about Christmas during this time of year, but we want to talk about when was Christmas, where was Christmas, and why. When did Jesus come, where did he come, and why did he come most importantly? And uh, we're going to go over a few things, and let me just say this right up front. We don't exactly know the day that Jesus was born. Uh, we don't. We don't know if it was December 25th. It, it could have been. Uh, it could have been at another time. But sometimes people will use this argument to distract you and say, well, you know, it's, you know, uh, Christianity teaches that Jesus was born on December 25th, and it couldn't be for this reason or that reason because there weren't sheep in the field, which, by the way, we'll see is a ridiculous statement. Uh, I grew up on a farm. Matter of fact, we had some sheep. Guess where you put sheep? When they're not in the field, you know where they go? Another field. That's where you put them if you've got a lot of them. Unless I know some of you like put a buffalo in your house. But I, anyway, uh, there's some, a family here that used to have a buffalo. In a, not, don't raise your hand. Uh, but I know we do that today. But in Mideastern culture, uh, particularly before, um, before Christ, 
Uh, That's where you kept sheep, was in a field. So as we go through this passage, I want to do it in a manner of which you can answer questions that sometimes come up, and you can also have a little bit better understanding. So we're going to look at the scripture in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 14. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 14. If you have your Bibles, let's read this together. In those days, a decree came out from Caesar Augustus to all the world that it should be registered. Now, Caesar Augustus was um, the Caesar at that time. Uh, I can't remember how many years he was Caesar, but somewhere in like the 30, it was a a good good reign that he had, a good long time. And he was before Christ and uh, for a lot of Christ's life, uh, Caesar was the emperor. And Caesar Augustus was also the one who decided to take on the role of divinity. And so he was uh, referred to himself as the son of God and uh, really put himself into the equation of being worshipped. And so there's a lot of parallelism going on. And with Jesus being called the son of God, uh, that was a direct statement and a direct confrontation, so to speak, uh, to Caesar. And so that was, it was a big deal. Uh, but in those days, a decree went out from Caesar, Augustus, that all the world should be registered. So we know that Jesus is born during the time of Caesar Augustus. And then this next point, that there was a uh, census, so to speak, going on. Now, uh, for years, some scholars have said that's not when the census was happening. It happened a couple of years later, and it happened before that. And the truth be told, we know the year before that the Roman Empire did a census, somewhere in 6, B- 6 BC, they did an, a, a census of Egypt. We have documentation of that now. And then we know about other censuses that came later. Um, but what it seems to have occurred is that censuses were done in different parts. In other words, the Romans had such a vast empire. Remember, this is before planes, cars, or automobiles, or anything else. And uh, so it was hard to get around. So they would do census. It would have made sense for them to do those census in stages. And so it's very likely that the census could have been done during this time. Uh, this was the first registration by Quinarius, the governor of Syria. Now, this is another place where skeptics will say, well, but we have documentation that Quinarius was governor in 6 AD of Syria. And so they said, so this Luke can't possibly be right. This can't be true because he was governor in 6 AD. But we also archaeologically found and made some discoveries now where we found that there are people who served in offices at two different times. In other words, let's say for governor in this instance, you would have been the governor of Judea. He could have easily been moved to another area, because, but because of political unrest or because for whatever reason, the emperor wanted to move him back. That was not uncommon, and we even have a documentation that that occurred sometime. That with the language that Luke is using, that this was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria. So, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So what's significant about that? Well, let's talk about it for a second. First of all, uh, that Joseph left his home, his place in Nazareth. He went back to where his family probably property was. That's how you were taxed on your land and whatever it produced. So he's got to go back and register. So on the, uh, if you look at it in the divine equation, this is God's timing. This is God's providence moving Joseph back. Why? Because we talked about this last week in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata. And uh, what's amazing about that is Ephrata was the city 
uh, when, when Jacob came through, uh, who's Abraham's son, and they came to the land of Canaan, this Bethlehem area, this is where the area where Rachel died, and it was called Ephratah. It would later be renamed Bethlehem because there was another Bethlehem in one of the northern tribes, Ephratah, that specific 700 years before Jesus would come, and it was prophesied specifically Bethlehem Ephratah. So Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth in Judea, in the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Remember Bethlehem? Anytime you see that word Beth, that means what? What does that word mean? House, okay? Anytime you see the word house, Lahem is bread, house of bread, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed uh, to be wife, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the, in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. <clears throat> so we're talking about when for just a moment. When was Jesus born? Well, we have good evidence. Uh, first of all, the Bible tells us it's during the reign of Caesar Augustus, so we know that. We also know from Matthew chapter 1 uh, that it was before the death of Herod because Herod is disturbed when the Magi come and say, where is the king of Jews? And Herod is disturbed because Herod thinks, I'm the king of the Jews. And so he wants to get the Magi to show him where uh, the child is so that he can destroy him. But uh, we know this from that. Caesar's the, the emperor. <clears throat> we know Herod is alive. Then we know Jesus has to be before the death of Herod. When did Herod die? Well, Josephus, an extra biblical writer, tells us. It was basically in March of, two, uh, not 2004, March of 4 B.C., okay? March of 4 B.C. is when Herod dies. As a matter of fact, he talks about there was... Uh, a lunar eclipse during that time, and in Mal, astrologers can go back, uh, astronomers can go back and say, hey, this happened in the middle of March uh, in uh, 4 BC. So we know that time frame. Uh, the other thing that helps us know a little bit about when, and again, we don't know the exact date. We don't know it was December 25th, and it really doesn't change the point or, or the fact or the truth anyway. But what is interesting, a lot of times skeptics will say, well, you know, they wouldn't have, the sheep wouldn't have been out in the field at that time. They're there in the spring, and, uh, and they're there in the fall, and they're in the summer, and they're in the winter. But anyway, um, sheep are there in the spring. Well, some sheep are born in the spring, um, but the normal gestation period for sheep, and particularly we think these were what they call wasa sheep, uh, which have been native and indigenous there for over 5,000 years. The sheep that were there, uh, they're mating period is from June to September, okay? There's a five-month gestation period. It's basically anywhere from 148 to 152 days. Well, if you do the math on that, then it very well could have been December. Could have been in November. Could have been in January. Uh, could have been early February. Could have been any of those times. But that season, it probably actually was winter. And that's actually the rainy season when you get into November and December where uh, the, the sheep, they probably would have had the sheep out anyway. But with that said, these particular sheep that are out there and these particular shepherds, we have good reason to believe that they, will, they were temple shepherds. Now, what do I mean by temple shepherds? Well, they were responsible for the, for the uh, livestock and really primarily the, the, the sheep would be unblemished and they would be 
treated in the right manner and they would be properly kosher in order for them to be sacrificed on behalf of the people by the priest for the sins of the Jews, for the sins of the Israelites. So that you have this uh, in Bethlehem. Uh, we know for a fact that this is where those sheep were kept. This is just five miles from Jerusalem. They are in the fields, and some even go as far as to say there's a place called Magog Eder, which is a tower, and there were several towers in the Bethlehem area uh, that they were used, one, for uh, defense purposes, but secondly, the shepherds would use them, and they would often uh, take their sheep in there if it was the cold time of the year. Uh, if that sheep was, was birthing, they would take it in, and after the lamb was born, you know what they'd do with it? They'd wrap it with swaddling clothes. If it was during the cold time of the year, they'd wrap it with swaddling clothes. And let's say they had to leave. Where do you think they might put it? They might have put it in a feeding trough or a manger. So when we start to see the foreshadowing of Christ, it's really pretty amazing. But we're talking about the timing right now. So there's a good reason to believe it probably was cold. And in that area, most of the year there were sheep there because they were, uh, they were always having to do sacrifices. So... With that understood, don't get stuck when somebody says it wasn't the 25th. You know, that was a pagan holiday by the Romans, Satellina, and then when Constantine's mother came through, she put Christmas right there to combat the spirit of paganism. Maybe she did, big deal. That's great because we don't talk about Satellina anymore. We're talking about Jesus. And so if that's what happened, that's great. Now, there's another argument by some scholars now that say in the 260-270 that the, the emperor at that time uh, was wanted to combat the, the growth of Christianity and that Christians were celebrating on the 25th. So that's why they put uh, the, the worship of Satellina on that day. We don't know, but it doesn't matter. We simply know this, that Jesus was born. And we know uh, that Jesus come, and we know where Jesus was born. He was born in Bethlehem, prophesied 700 years before. And now we see him being born, not by coincidence, not by accident, but the Bible tells us in Galatians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, that he's born in the fullness of time. What does that mean? At God's appointed time, that God's determined time, when mankind was ready. So you know the story of the gospel. It's this, the big God story, creation. God created the world and mankind and everything in it, but man chose to rebel against his authority and go his own way. We call that the fall. So God created a system, a sacrificial system, where a spotless lamb could be offered on behalf of the sins of the people. This started when? At Passover. What was Passover? Think about it for just a moment. And think about the foreshadowing of Christ to come. <clears throat> it was a lamb, a perfect and unblemished lamb that would be killed and the blood was applied to the door. And when the death angel came over, he passed over all of the homes who were marked by the blood of the lamb. Now here's Jesus being born where? In Bethlehem, prophesied the city of David. Remember Rachel was there? That's where Rachel was from. That's where Ruth met Boaz and they had their children, who was the great-grandmother of David. And where will the Messiah come? Out of the lineage of David. And now here's Christ being born in Bethlehem. The shepherds, the temple shepherds, whose job was to prepare and to care for the uh, temple sheep, for those that would be sacrificed on behalf of the nation. Here's Jesus being born who will be sacrificed for all mankind. Pretty amazing when you stop and think about it. We continue in our passage here. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and he's appearing to the shepherds, these temple shepherds, whose job was to take care of the temple sheep. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? For all people, not just the Jews, not just the Israelites. For unto you this day is born, for you he is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's interesting language right there. I'm born for you a Savior. Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. It wasn't prophesied that a good teacher would come. He was born a savior, Yeshua, one who saves. And then he says, is the Christ, the Lord. That was the title. That was a messianic title. Yeshua Hamashiach, Christ, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. Remember what we talked about, where Jesus would be and how the shepherds would take the sheep and on cold nights if they had just birthed the lamb they would swaddle it and suddenly there was an angel of the multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased shalom shalom has come the peace of God has come creation was established in perfect shalom and then came our fall and our sin, and we corrupted the world, and God made a way for forgiveness to happen, and now he has sent once and for all the perfect lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who came and lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died, who took the sins of all who would believe and transfer our trust to him, and the perfect lamb was sacrificed on our behalf. There's the gospel right now, so that now we are redeemed through his purchase, through his blood, that we might be restored to God Almighty. Why did Jesus come? Well, Scripture tells us very clearly why Jesus come. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And even the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Tim Keller said it like this when he said, why was Jesus born? Christmas is the end of thinking you are better than someone else because Christmas is telling you that you can never get to heaven on your own. God has to come to you. It is telling you that the people who are saved are not those who rise up through their own abilities to be like God or what God wants them to be. Salvation comes to those who admit how weak they are. So what is Christmas? Christmas is God redeeming mankind through his son Jesus so that they might be restored to have peace with God Almighty. That's the message of hope. That's the message of Christmas. What about us as believers? Certainly we want to share that. Certainly there are reasons to have joy this Christmas. There are facts behind the joy. And as we reflect upon this, for some, this is a difficult season. I talked this this week to several people who have lost a loved one in the last year, and, and it's tough, and it's it's hard. 
So why should I have a spirit of joy during Christmas? Well, let's th- let me give you three good reasons. Number one, because you've been adopted. And you might say, what do you mean I've been adopted? Well, you weren't naturally born of God. You weren't born into the family of God. You have to come to the place where you recognize your need for it. And God freely adopts us by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It's because of our relationship, our association, our trust in Christ that we are adopted and made full heirs of the kingdom of God. You know, in the ancient cultures, particularly in Judaism at this time, if you adopted a child later on, you couldn't take them completely out of their will. Now, you could greatly reduce it, but if it wasn't one of your own children, you could just cut them completely out. You could cut them out, but uh, for many of the Mideasterners this time, when you would adopt a child, they became a part of you for life. Not that they earned it, not that they deserved it, not that they were born into it, because you selected them, because you welcomed them, because you showed grace to them. We have been adopted into the kingdom, and we have been redeemed. Our sin is being redeemed. Our pain, our suffering, all struggles for the righteousness of Christ. God will redeem all of that both here and in the life to come for his glory and for our benefit. So we can find joy because of our adoption, because of the redemption. And we can find joy when we learn to be grateful and thankful. Thankful for our adoption, thankful for our redemption, but thankful about the things that we so often forget. Thankful that if your home is a mess right now, it probably means you have family that you live with. The taxes I pay because it means I have an income. The clothes that fit me too tight because it means I have plenty to eat. Things that need to be repaired and fixed around my house means I have a home. That spot that I had to park it this morning and walk all the way over here, I can be thankful because I got legs that move. And the lady behind me in church who sings off key, those instruments that are too loud, I thank God that I can hear. The alarm that goes off in the morning because it means I'm alive and I've been yet given another day. The complaining I hear about the government because it means I have Freedom of speech. We are so intensely and immensely blessed. There was a young man that came up here Friday at 5.30. We had a, I had a little family thing I was doing here. I'm never here at 5.30 on Fridays. <clears throat> Matter of fact, nobody's ever here on 5.30 on Fridays. I happened to be here, and this guy drove up, and um, he said, oh, he said this Rock Point Church, and we started talking. I said, yeah. He said, well, last night I was eating at Medea. He goes, I, I'm a Marine. I'm a pilot. Got out of the military, and I'm flying now. I just got stationed here. I don't know anybody here. And uh, just struggling through some things. And I was at Medea's last night and met a couple, and they said, hey, we go to Rock Point. Why don't you come? I don't know. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're the ones invited. His name was Greg. And so he said, so I, I thought about it last night, and this, today I just thought, I'm, I'm going to go drive up that church. But I drove up here, and so here I am. I don't really know why. I'm just kind of searching. So we talked about faith, talked about what his background was. He really didn't have one. He was, when he was small, he attended a Catholic church, but that had been a long time. He hadn't been anywhere. But 
there's some things going on in his life now. And so he's, he's seeking. He's reaching out. I, I say that to say that was divine providence. I, I didn't just happen to be here at that time. God, in the fullness of time, created that moment. Matter of fact, and then most of you know our men's minister, Brandon Graham, is a Marine. And so he's, he's probably already contacted I sent him that information. He's already contacted him. I, I say that to say that open your eyes. Look around. God wants to use his peace, his spirit to draw people to him. I was talking to another person in our church. Uh, last night they were at a service at another church, and they said, you know, 25 people accepted Christ. I'm telling you, this is Jesus is the reason for this season. And if we will connect with the spirit of God at a time to worship and celebrate the birth of God himself on this earth, to mankind as a gift, if we will begin to share that, if we'll begin to pray and invest and invite, God will move. Look at the red lights. Look at the red lights, my right and my left. Who has God placed in your life that doesn't know him that you can pray, invest, and invite? Um, that same day, Friday, uh, I get th- we get through with that, and I look at a text. I've got a text from a former neighbor who used to live here, lived uh, lived uh, right, right next to me, and his wife said, hey, just wanted to let you know Tony's mother died, and Tony's been, mother has been in this church several times, and I said, okay. I said, well, I'll, I'll call him. I'll reach out to him, so I got a chance to call him later on that evening, and as we were visiting, what's really unique about this, and some of you have heard this story before, when, I first, when we first moved to Lantana, we were starting the church. We were called the church at Lantana, and uh, we were meeting in my home with just a few of us. And uh, we were starting to just meet the couple of neighbors we have, and we're talking to, to Tony and his wife, and uh, it comes up that I'm a pastor and we're doing a church. And from that day forward, um, when we'd come out, they'd go back in. And uh, we'd drive up, they'd be in work in the yard, we'd wave at them, they'd walk in. And so it became, this became our relationship right here. Uh, hey, Tony, how you doing? I'm fine, Ron, see you later. And so uh, that was our relationship for about four or five years, but we determined we were going to pray for them every night. And so about five years into it, um, he has to go to the hospital with a brain aneurysm. And so we call and I visit with his wife. I said, can I come up and pray for him? She said, that would be great if you would come. So I went up and I shared with Tony. Uh, we talked a little bit, talked about the gospel, and then I prayed with him. And later on when he came back, we began to visit. And I said, Tony, have you ever come to a place in your life where you recognize uh, Jesus Christ is Lord? And have you, ever, have you ever considered giving your life to him? He said, you know what, that night that you came and shared with me, he said, I, I prayed and I asked Christ to come in my life. He said, you know, up to that point, he goes, I, I, re- I really wasn't any kind of a believer. He said, when I was real little, we'd gone to Catholic church, but we hadn't done that since I was 10 or 11 years old. And I had just, as I'd grown, I just decided, you know, uh, there may be a God, but I'm not sure he has anything to do with us. And pretty much you just live your life and die and that's it. He goes, and that's just what I believed. That's just what I thought. He said, uh, but after I trusted Christ and began to grow, he said, you know, that was, that, that was a good thing. But he said, you know, with my mother dying, he goes, here's where I am today. He goes, I'm really at peace with this because she had gotten old and she was starting to suffer. And, uh, and I knew that she was a Christian. I knew that she was going to be with, with Christ. He said, so I just kind of came to the place where God, it's okay. And so when she died, I, actually I have a sense of joy that I know she's healthy and she's whole and she was Jesus and I know that I'm going to see her again. He goes, Ron, I didn't believe that 10 years ago. He goes, this would have wrecked me. He goes, because I love my mother. My g- kids love my, their grandmother. 
He goes, but I truly believe that she's with Jesus. I truly believe she's healed, and I truly believe I will see her again. Man, that's the joy and spirit of Christmas. Even in the death of someone you love dearly, knowing where they are, knowing the decisions that you've made, the commitment of faith that you've made, and knowing that you will be reunited that's a joy that the world can't give. Jesus said, that's a peace that the world can't give. Jesus said, peace I give, not as the world gives. Shalom, not as the world gives, but as I give unto you, I give you the real peace, the significance, the purpose of your life, which is to love and know God Almighty and bring him glory. That is the purpose for which you were created. First of all, let me ask you this question. Have you come to the place where you recognize, you know what? There is a God, and he created all things. And I have sinned. I have gone my own way. I have determined to make my own choices uh, regardless of what he thinks or what he wants. That's called the fall. But do you believe that Jesus came and lived the life that you should have lived and died the death that you should have died? And he gave himself as that sacrificial lamb that if we would put our trust in him, you might be forgiven, redeemed, and ultimately restored. Have you come to that place? I want to challenge you to do that. If you have a friend or loved one, I want to challenge you to pray for them and invite them. Pick up a card, pick up a box, and make it a point to pray and invite. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Thank you for the great gift of your salvation. Lord, we thank you that not only did you come, not only, Father, uh, were you born in Bethlehem in fulfillment prophecy. Lord, we thank you of why you came, to seek and to save that which was lost, to give your life as a ransom, as a payment for the sins because of our, uh, our separation of God Almighty, because each one of us have gone our own, our own way. But you have bridged the gap by being that sacrificial lamb on our behalf, paying for our sins and putting us at peace with God Almighty so that we might have joy because we know regardless of what this world throws at us, we will be with you for eternity one day. And in the meantime, Lord, you want us to bring as many people as we can and bring you as much glory as possible. May that be true of, the, of us this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray.